0: You're listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more.
1: We're going to have our Bible reading now just before Ralph comes. So, if you could turn up Luke chapter 19, I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 10. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. If you're brand new with us today, again, let me give a very warm welcome. Uh, we've been going through a series in Luke's Gospel looking at the theme of God's kingdom, looking at the theme of the kingdom of God. And this next very exciting passage, uh, will reveal, again, something new, something refreshing about the kingdom that God is bringing in. So let me read to you from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy All the people saw this and began to mutter, "'He is gone to be the guest of a sinner.' But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, "'Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, "'and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, "'I will pay back four times the amount.' Jesus said to him, "'Today salvation has come to this house.' because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost.
0: Uh, Let us bow our heads as we prepare uh, to come to God's word together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you speak to us. You've spoken not just in the past, but you speak today in the present through the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are soft to receive, we pray. Amen. Uh, well, upstairs in my office, um, I have a, a little book on my bookshelf. Uh, and it's a book that tells the account of the author C.S. Lewis's conversion. Uh, the title of the book is The Most Reluctant Convert. And that kind of gives you an idea of, of what happened to C.S. Lewis. If you were here a few weeks ago, actually, Brent uh, Harriman shared something of Lewis's testimony. He, he went out for a long walk with some of his good friends, Hugo Dyson and J.R. Tolkien of Lord of the Rings fame. And then several days later, it happened. C.S. Lewis recalls that he was riding in the sidecar of a motorcycle on the way to Whipsnade Zoo. But when he got in the sidecar, he was not a Christian. When he got out of the sidecar and went to see the giraffes, he was. That's C.S. Lewis's story. For me, the same thing happened, but not in a sidecar on the way to Whipsnade Zoo, but rather in a deck chair in the back garden of my parents' house. I hadn't been chatting to J.R. Tolkien. But I have been chatting to my mate Matthew, who has gone on since to be the producer of David Attenborough's wildlife documentary. So there are some similarities there. (laughs) And when I sat down into that deck chair on a sunny spring day in London, I sat down not as a Christian. When I got up from that chair, I arose as a Christian. Over the past six weeks, we've been looking at different encounters with Jesus from Luke's gospel. We've seen him confront some people who are confident in their own righteousness. We've seen him welcome in some children and accept them when no one else was accepting them. We've seen him challenging a rich ruler. And then last week, we saw him giving sight to a blind man. Today, we're going to see something slightly different. We're going to see him encountering a short, stubby man who went by the name Zacchaeus. And when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, his life is completely transformed. He encounters King Jesus and he experiences kingdom conversion. And we're going to focus on three aspects of that kingdom conversion as we look at this passage today. We're going to focus on the need for conversion, the way of conversion, and then thirdly, the change of conversion. So let's start, off first of all, with the need for conversion. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, Jesus enters Jericho. Now, Jericho was a major trade route. So when he arrives in the city, he is confronted by a huge crowd. Verse 3, and among the crowd, or rather I should say, over the crowd, hung this man Zacchaeus, balancing delicately on the branch of a sycamore fig tree. Verse 2 tells us two crucial things about Zacchaeus. It tells us that he was a chief tax collector and that he was rich. Now, those two things, they go together. When we hear that word tax collector today, we we tend to think of someone who works at New Bailey for HMRC. That's what comes to our mind. Now, saying you work for HMRC, that may be a conversation killer at a party, but it's still a pretty prestigious job to do. It's a respected profession. Things were very different back in the first century. You see, tax in the UK, it is collected in order to pay for roads, in order to fund education, in order to fund the health service. Tax is used for good things. In the first century, tax was more like a a protection racket. You see, Rome was the occupying power. And they imposed tax as a way of extracting resources from the states that they had taken over. So, so they charge 50, 60, 70% for people to trade and pass by on trade routes. And they collect this tax through local officials. And that is what Zacchaeus was. Well. Zacchaeus was an Israelite. He he had a Jewish name. The name Zacchaeus is the Jewish name. So, So he was a native, he was a local, but he was working for the enemy. And the way he got paid, the way he got rich, was by skimming the proceeds of the tax paid to Rome. Zacchaeus was rich. He was filthy rich because he was a tax collector. Because he was a collaborator, because he was a traitor, because he was a crook. And this crowd in Luke nineteen, they hated him because of it. And what's Jesus do? Well, verse seven. He invites himself round to Zacchaeus' house, and verse seven. The crowd sneer. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. We need to understand something of the context here. You see, if, if we go round to each other's house for dinner, it's, it's just it's just nice, isn't it? We're just sharing food, we're just hanging out, we're getting to know each other. It wasn't like that in the first century. Remember, in the first century, there was no electricity. So when you went back to someone's home in the evening, it was entirely dark. It was the time before the family went to bed. So when you had someone round, you were saying that you were one with them, in partnership with them, in cahoots with them. And that is what Jesus was saying here. He ate with a traitor. How could you do that? Jesus, the crowd asked. Listen, because it's really important that we get this. No one, no one was in any doubt that Zacchaeus was in need of conversion. Everyone knew that. Zacchaeus Zacchaeus was an awful man. He was terrible. He was, verse 7, he was a wicked sinner. Of course, Zacchaeus needed a conversion. What offended the crowd so much was that Jesus was willing to stay in his house before there had been any moral transformation. But look at verse 10. That is exactly what Jesus came into the world to do. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, it's really interesting. The last time that little word for lost was used in Luke's gospel was back in chapter 15. In chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables about three things that have been lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and then thirdly, the lost son. Now, in the parable of the lost son, there are actually two sons, Uh, There's the younger son, Uh, the the younger son who who demanded his inheritance from his father. He effectively said to his father, father, I, I want you dead. I just want your money right away. That's what the younger son did. And then he took the money and he spent it on booze and brothels. But then there was an older son as well. Now, this older son... He, he always, always sought to please his father. He was the perfect son. He did everything right, lived a completely upright life. But here's the thing. When a younger brother came back, the older brother, he was furious, absolutely furious because his dad welcomed back to his younger brother. And at the end of the parable, there is this tragic thing that happens There is a party going on, and in the party, at the centre of the party, is the younger son, the younger brother, being embraced by his father, being the toast of the party. But outside stands the older brother, who refused to go in. Do you know the point of that parable? The point is this. According to Jesus, there are two ways to be lost. You see it throughout the whole of Luke's gospel, two different ways to be lost. You can be lost in your unrighteousness, in your sin. That is the younger son in the parable. That is Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. "But you can be lost in your righteousness, too. That's the older son. That's the crowd. In Luke chapter 19. And here's the point. Both groups need to be saved. Both groups need a conversion. But only one is willing to receive it. So how do we know which group we fall into, whether we're lost in our unrighteousness or lost in our righteousness? I want to suggest two tests for us to do, two self-diagnostic tests on ourselves. First test, what do you think that you need in life? Compare Zacchaeus to the rich young ruler that Eric spoke about two weeks ago. Both the men were fabulously rich. And both the men came to Jesus with a need. But the need was was so very, very different. So, So Zacchaeus this week, just like the blind man we saw last week, he has the same need. He had the need to see. He wanted to see Jesus. But because Zacchaeus was short, he couldn't. What about the young rich ruler? What was his need? Look back at verse 18 of chapter 18. He recognized he had a need as well. And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see the difference? Zacchaeus' need was rooted in his dependence. He depended on seeing Jesus. The rich man's need was for independence. Tell me what I've got to do, Jesus, the rich ruler says. Look, look, I've got all of these resources. Look at all that I've done. I'm respected. Now just tell me what I need to do to get over the line and be with you. But when Jesus tells him that the one thing he needs to do is to surrender his independence by letting go of the thing he's placed his hope and security in, his wealth, the rich young ruler can't do it. He'd rather walk away than surrender his independence to Jesus. So that's the first test. What do you need? The second test is how do you speak about sin? How do you speak about sin? Uh, Look at what the crowd, those lost in their own righteousness, look at what they say. Verse 7, they say, he, Jesus, "He's, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. People lost in their own righteousness, they use sin as a label for other people. It's exactly what we saw in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector a few weeks back. Remember that the Pharisee, he prays, it's again in chapter 18, verse 11, he prays and he says, God, I thank you. I thank you that I am not like other people. I am not like this tax collector. I am not a sinner. And then the tax collector says, Beats his breast. He cannot look up. And he says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. What do you need? How do you pray? Are are you always asking God for a secure job, for, for good pay, for a happy family, for good health? Are you always asking him for things that enable you to be independent from him? Or do you simply desire Jesus? Do you realise you'll need to depend upon him each and every day? And when you talk about sin, are you always talking about other people? Or are you talking about yourself? Listen, if, if you're here this afternoon and you're sat here and you're thinking, oh, I'm just too terrible a person to ever become a Christian. Then can I say to you, you are both profoundly wrong. Because Jesus came to save people just like you. But you are also in the very, very best of positions. Because all you need to do is depend on him. To give you the very thing that he came into the world to give you. Jesus came for people just like you. Jesus came only for people like you. But can I speak to, to those of you who are regulars here? If, if you've been here and you're a regular, you'll know that we, we tried to buy a, a church building a couple of months ago. Uh, And we weren't successful in raising the money, we didn't manage to buy it. Now, we were disappointed. And I think there were lots of good reasons for us to be disappointed about not getting that building. But if you're anything like me, then perhaps one of the reasons that you were disappointed was because you were holding out for a building which was slightly more comfortable. And by slightly more comfortable, I mean you were holding out for a building where when you walked into the front of it, you didn't have to walk over someone who had passed out at the entrance. Or or a building where you didn't need to regularly rub shoulders with people who are just a little bit difficult. You were hoping for a building that, frankly, is just a little bit more comfortable for respectable people. You know, as I read this passage, I had to check myself this week on that. Because deep down, I feel a bit of that. But that is exactly, exactly what the crowd was saying in verse seven. Lost in their self-righteousness. Everyone here today needs conversion. Conversion from our sinfulness and conversion from our self-righteousness. Secondly, uh, notice the way of conversion in these verses. Uh, Zacchaeus, he, he wants to see Jesus. So what does he do? Well, verse four, he runs. Now, now remember, Zacchaeus was a prominent man. Everyone knew him. He was very, very wealthy. but People hated him, but he still wanted to retain his dignity. And yet he ran. Something that no self-respecting man in the first century would do. And then after running, he climbs up a tree. I mean, that's the sort of thing a kid does, not a grown man. In his pursuit of Jesus, Zacchaeus was willing to get embarrassed. He was willing to humiliate himself. Can I speak to those of you here today who are not yet Christians? Thank you so much for coming and being here. I realised that there was a cost involved in you being here today. I still remember when I first started to look into Christianity, and I told my friends i started attending a church, and they said, Ralph, have you gone crazy? I mean, why do you care about all that religious mumbo-jumbo? People stopped believing in that 500 years ago. What are you doing? Maybe you know something, Well, that feels like to be mocked for being here today. Well, thank you for being willing to take that heat. Zacchaeus had to climb a tree to see Jesus. You don't have to do that today. But you do need to open this book we've got here, the Bible. And people will mock you for doing that just as much as they'll mock you for climbing a tree in Piccadilly Gardens. But can I encourage you to press on? Keep coming along on Sundays. Keep examining what we read here about Jesus. Join one of our alpha groups starting after Christmas. Be willing to be embarrassed by looking into Jesus because it is worth it. And notice how Jesus responds to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus thinks he is the one doing the seeking. And he thinks that he's successfully concealed himself among the, the sycamore fig tree leaves. But Jesus walked right up to the spot where he is, verse 5. He looks up, he calls Zacchaeus by name, and then he says, Come down, I must stay at your home today. I must stay. The last three times that Jesus has said, I must, in Luke's Gospels, in chapter 9, verse 22, chapter 13, verse 33, and chapter 17, verse 25, the last three times he said he must do something, do you know what he was talking about? His death. And as he said, I must, what he's been saying is, I must do it because it has been planned. Since before time began, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had planned that Jesus would go to the cross to make salvation possible. That's why Jesus must go to the cross. Now, do you see what he's saying here in chapter 19, verse 5? It's a game changer. He's saying, Zach, Zach. This meeting between you and me, it isn't a coincidence. It's not just happened. No, this has been ordained from before time began. It's been my plan with the Father that I would meet you right here, right now, in order for something to happen. Perhaps you know that in Theology, there's, there's a great debate about whether it is us that choose God or God who comes and chooses us. Well, can you see what this passage is saying? It is Jesus who does the seeking. It, yes, it, it might feel like we're searching after him, but really we only search after him because he first came to search after us. Those of us who are Christians, we can testify to how God has done that in our own lives, and perhaps you 're here and you 're not yet a Christian. Can I say it is no coincidence that you 're here today? God has so engineered the events of your life that the friend who invited you, that the spouse you 're married to, so that at this moment in this time, at this place. You are meeting Jesus right here in Luke chapter 19. And he is saying to you, this afternoon, come down from your tree. I want to stay with you. Now let's pause here. Because I think it's really easy to misunderstand what becoming a Christian involves. To misunderstand what getting converted means. You see, I think we sometimes assume that it means subscribing to a certain set of beliefs. So if I believe that Allah is God, then I convert to Islam. If I believe that Vishnu is God, I convert to Hinduism. If I believe that there is no God at all, then I convert to atheism. Or, or, or else we treat Conversion, like Christianity, is a religion. Religion says, do this and you'll be rewarded. So Buddhism says, do the noble eightfold path and you'll reach nirvana. Virtue signal on Twitter and you'll become a social media influencer. It's either subscribe or do. But that is not what Christianity is about at all. Look at verse 5 again. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name and he says, I must stay at your house today. Now look at verse 9. Jesus says, Today, salvation has come to this house. Do you see the point? Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house, which means salvation comes to Jesus' house, Zacchaeus' house. You see, the heart of Christianity, it is relationship, not religion. The way of conversion is being, not doing. Have you grasped that? Have you really got that? Becoming a Christian, it is not about pulling up your socks, learning lots of stuff and trying harder. It is not even about coming here to church. No, it is about being with Jesus and letting him transform you. Zacchaeus thought that being up the tree would be the only way that he could see Jesus. But Jesus says, no, no. Come down. I want to be with you. Maybe you're here today and you feel just like Zacchaeus. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. You think there's just no way that Jesus would have me. Not after all I've done. Or perhaps you're a regular here. but Perhaps you're even a member here. But you feel incredibly distant from God right now. Maybe it's because of an area of your life that is hidden and that you find shameful. Maybe it's because your love for Jesus has just grown cold and no one else knows apart from you. And you feel like you're sat here as a fraud, a hypocrite. My friend, Jesus looks at you today in all of your Zacchaeus-like self-loathing. And says, come down. I want to be with you today. And you know why he can say that? You know why he can look at the Zacchaeuses and the Ralphs? You know why he can look at you and say, come down? Because he went up on a tree. Just 10 days after meeting Zacchaeus, Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross, a tree, just outside Jerusalem. He took Zacchaeus' deception, he took Zacchaeus' treachery, his dishonesty, his cruelty, and Jesus was punished on that tree for the whole lot of it. Jesus went up on the tree so that we could come down from it. He he was abandoned by the Father so that we could eat with the Father. He was lost so that we could be found. The Son of Man was cut off so that, verse 9, we could become sons. That is the way of conversion. Jesus' initiative, his work, not ours. you know, it does lead to real change, which brings us to our third point, the change of conversion. Look at verse 8 with me. Verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give away half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, some people struggle with the extravagance of all this. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But other people struggle with it theologically. So some Bible commentators, look at this passage, they point out that Zacchaeus makes this fabulous declaration in verse 8. And then Jesus says, verse 9, today salvation has come to this house. So it's salvation by works, isn't it? Zacchaeus is converted because he turns his back on cheating and deception but that is to completely misunderstand verse eight. Take a look at verse eight again and see how Zacchaeus starts. He says, Look, behold, Lord. This follows on directly from verses five and six. Jesus calls Zacchaeus... And Zacchaeus is delighted. Verse 6, he welcomes Jesus gladly. And then he says, Look, Jesus, look at all, look at all I'm going to do. Because you've received me. Zacchaeus isn't converted because he gives his money away to the poor. No, Zacchaeus gives his money away to the poor because he's been converted. Flows out, verse 6, of his joy and gladness. Uh, My favourite musical is Les Miserables. It's far and away the best musical, just just to be clear on that, okay? Uh, And right at the start of it, it's it's set at the time of the French Revolution, and right at the start, we meet the criminal, Jean Valjean. He's an incredibly bitter man. He's spent 19 years in jail doing hard labour because he stole a loaf of bread. He's angry with the world. But he's just been released, and he's taken in generously by a bishop in a nearby town who gives him a meal and gives him a bed. But in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean wakes up. He creeps downstairs and steals the bishop's silver cutlery. The bishop hears him. He comes downstairs to investigate, and Jean Valjean knocks him out and runs off with the silver. The next day, Valjean is stopped by the local police, and he's found red-handed. He insists to the police that the silver was a gift from the bishop. And so they take him back to the bishop, and the police captain asks if that is true. And the bishop, sporting a huge black eye, says, yes, I gave it to him. But he forgot to take the candlesticks too. Give him the candlesticks as well. So a stunned Valjean is released and given the scandal sticks as well. And his life at that point, it is utterly transformed. The bitterness disappears. He's a new man and he commits the rest of his life to serving others. That is what is happening here in verse 8. Jesus' generosity to Zacchaeus transforms Zacchaeus and makes him generous. And his generosity is extravagant, isn't it? The Old Testament law, it required Israelites to give away 10% of their income, to the poor, to the Levites, to the temple. That was the base level, but Zacchaeus gives away 50%. And the law required that if you stole something, you needed to give it back plus 100%. But Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give it back, but I'm going to give back 300% in addition to returning the goods. Friends, when you think of giving away half of your income, does that shock you? Would you give that sort of money to the poor and to gospel ministry here in Manchester? Or is 10% already asking too much? Uh, When you think about repentance, not talking about money here, but talking about sin in your life. (laughs) Do you always think about it as being the bare minimum? Uh, Let me make this concrete for you. I know that a good number of you right now are struggling with alcohol. Struggling with drinking too much, getting drunk. Is the idea of setting yourself an alcohol limit of just one drink a night or, or stopping drinking alcohol altogether, does that sound too much? Well, I know a number of you are really struggling with being sexually pure in your relationships. Is the idea of stopping... Meeting together just on your own in each of your homes before you get married. Do you view that as a step too far? Too radical? If that does sound too much to you, then can I suggest what you need is not greater accountability in those areas. It's not some special trick of discipleship. What you need is to grasp the gospel more deeply. The gospel is the thing that transforms our hearts. The gospel asks us, makes us ask, not how little can I give, but how much can I give? It makes us ask, not what can I get away with, but, but what can I do? It asks, not how much do I need to serve, but how much can I serve? You know Why? No one has put it better than the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians. He says this. He says, because he who was rich beyond our imaginings, that's Jesus, for our sake became poor. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. Because he who was happy beyond our imaginings came into our sad, tragic, and broken world because he went up on the tree at Calvary. He has freed us to come down from the tree to live radically transformed lives of generosity, service, and holiness. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that 2,000 years ago, you ascended the tree of Calvary. You took... Our shame. You took our deception. You took our lying and our rebellion. And you were punished for it in full. You were mocked. You were laughed at. You were beaten and crushed. So that we could go free. So that you could come home with us today.